Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Lee. Um, it's great to be here. Um, and to those of you on the live stream, a special welcome. Um, we're on our final talk, um, as Anton said, on gender... Sorry, I'm just... Nope. There we go. Um, gen- Jesus, gender and sexuality. And today I'm going to be talking about gender, um, specifically um, transgender identities, the T in LGBTQIA. Um, I again want to say that this is a humble attempt to be guided by God's word um, and to get us to love deeper. Um, my hope for this whole series, whether you've been impressed or disappointed or somewhere in between, is that this leads to more, many more personal and honest conversations um, with family members, friends, and us here as a church family and even with the ministry team. Issues of gender are being intensely discussed. It's often political, dehumanizing, and filled with outrage. Um, You may have no interest in this at all. Um, All these discussions may fill you with fear or outrage. As Christians, being dismissive or getting furious at our cultural moment won't convince people to put their trust in Jesus. So how do we engage as Christians? Well, before I go any further, um, let's just deal with some key terms. Um, it's important to actually differentiate between sex and gender these days. Um, they used to be synonymous, but now sex um, specifically refers to one's biological sex, their reproductive and hormonal systems, chromosomes, and genitalia. Humans exist biologically as either male or female. Gender is trying to capture how masculine or feminine someone feels, whether they experience themselves as male, female, or neither, um, and or how they want to express themselves. Transgender is an umbrella term capturing the many different ways in which someone does not identify with their biological sex. But if someone tells you they're transgender, this could mean a variety of things. Uh, They could be talking about their experience of gender dysphoria, which is a psychological term for the distress someone feels when their internal sense of self or gender doesn't match their biological sex. Um, This experience of gender dysphoria can start early in life or later in life. Um, It can come in waves or be this constant sort of hum. Um, And it can range from severe um, and utterly debilitating to quite mild. But not every trans person has gender dysphoria. Uh, For many different reasons and, and past experiences, maybe trauma, some trans people just prefer to identify with something other than their biological sex. Usually, they're not denying their biology. They're just giving more weight to their feelings and experiences, communicating how they see themselves and how they want to be seen in this world. There's a unique story worth listening to behind every person that says they're trans. And look, as I've been reading books, articles, listening to to different stories from trans Christians and in the kind of culture wars, 
trying to get a sense of what is actually going on, I felt more and more out of my depth. I am not an expert. I'm not a psychologist or a scientist or any sort of doctor. I'm not studying these things. But we have the Bible, the words of God himself. I'm here to point you all to Jesus. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, I'm here to help you see that above all else in life, Jesus is worth giving your life to. Jesus is worth following. And if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to hang on every word he says every week. I want you, even in the darkest of valleys, to cling to him and find joy in him and to embody him in everything we do. So how do we think about and engage trans people as Jesus would? How do we keep Jesus at the center of all we think, feel, say, and do when it comes to gender issues? Well, to begin, I want to read you a little story from a great book, if you want to just go deeper into this topic, called Embodied um, by Preston Sprinkle. Uh, Let me read this to you. We were all going around talking about our struggles and confessing our sin. Jack told me about a Bible study he was in. He hadn't told anyone his struggles with gender dysphoria. He was scared to death to say anything. But if everyone else could talk about their struggles in this Bible study, why shouldn't he? When it was his turn to talk, his hands shaking and fear welling up inside him, Jack said, I've never told anyone this, but I I sometimes feel like I should have been a woman. Only it wasn't sometimes, it was most of the time. Day after day, year after year, two things had been true of Jack's life. He was a sold-out believer in Jesus, and he experienced lifelong and at times debilitating gender dysphoria. He didn't believe Jesus wanted him to transition. He still believed that he was a man, but he wanted a second opinion. He wanted some guidance, some wisdom, some prayer. He wanted someone to walk with him in this journey. I experienced gender dysphoria Jack continued, but the more he talked, the quieter the room got, blank stares and troubled faces. He stammered odd. It's, I mean, that's what psychologists call my condition, my experience. Anyway, I guess I just wanted to share this. Thanks. Jack received some nods and a few superficial conversations after the Bible study, but no one seemed to care. Jack didn't need them to throw him a party, lifting him up on a chair and parading him around the room. He didn't need them to have all the answers. He didn't need a psychological Gandalf puffing out wisdom about gender dysphoria through rings of smoke. He just needed someone to care enough to help him navigate the challenges of his life as a Christ follower. You may remember, if you were here on the first week, um, Leslie in the video, uh, she shared how she was escorted out of church at a young age, for sharing that she was struggling with gender dysphoria. And it took her 18 years before she returned. Um, These are two of many stories, horrific stories, of abuse, exclusion and bullying that trans people have received from friends and family who claim to embody the love of God. And maybe you've experienced this as a trans person, or fear that if you shared this struggle or your dysphoria that this is how you'd be treated. Or maybe you're watching this online 
because it's a safe distance. According to a study in America of trans adults, 57% have family members who refuse to speak to them. 50% experience harassment at school. 65% have suffered physical or sexual violence. And 69% have experienced homelessness. So we have before us in our community, in our church community, in our youth group, maybe in our homes, um, a rapidly rising number of marginalised and vulnerable people. So how? How do we think about gender? How should we think about gender and one struggle with gender identity? What does the Bible say and how does Jesus push us to engage? Well, firstly, we cherish the words of Jesus. Um, Psalm 139, we've landed here a few times, but it's worth stressing again and again that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made by God. No one is an accident or a mistake or born in the wrong body. Every single one of us is a masterpiece in the gallery of God's creation. Cherish this truth. And we're intimately known by God. Nothing we think, feel, say, or do takes God by surprise. And no matter how far we've run from God or we push him away, and we've all done that, I push God away. He is right there with us. Um, And in the reading we have this morning from John 4, Jesus embodies this psalm. He seeks out this lonely Samaritan woman at the well. He knows He knows everything about her, her deepest, darkest secrets. And he isn't phased at all. He's there. He loves her. If you're wrestling with your gender, then in those moments where you might be tempted to think God would love you more if you weren't having these thoughts, read the Bible and treasure what God says about you. He knows you and he so loves you. He's so drawn to you that he gave He's one and only son to have you. And if you're a trans Christian, cherish these words from Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, Christians, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What beautiful words. If you're a trans Christian, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. And so if you're a non-trans Christian and maybe your stance towards trans people is simply to be repulsed, then you need to repent. We're not embodying Jesus when we think of, talk about, look at, or treat any human being, even with the slightest disdain. We keep Jesus at the heart of this by cherishing his words deep in our hearts. Secondly, we rest in Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think restless would be a great way to describe many of us, uh, myself and, and our culture. We find it difficult to stop. We want to keep up with everything 
everything that's going on around us and everyone. Uh, we want this new this, new that. We're trying to fit in and find our place. Well, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. True freedom and rest is found in relationship with Jesus. So come to Jesus. And as Christians, we keep coming to Jesus. We never move on from coming to Jesus. We always need Jesus. When we feel lost in this life, or maybe in our bodies, we come to Jesus. When we're confused about who we really are, we come to Jesus. When our feelings conflict with our bodily realities, we come to Jesus. When we're trying to make sense of the world's a thousand opinions about us and who we should be, we come to Jesus. Colossians 2.10 says, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. We're restlessly searching for fullness. Something to make us whole. And in Jesus... We can have it. And this is a challenge to all of us to stop thinking that that next purchase, that promotion, that relationship, that bigger home is going to fulfill us and free us. To the trans person, I'd stress that I have no idea what you're going through, but come to Jesus. I'll never know the pain and distress you've had to endure But in Jesus and in him alone, you'll find fullness and completeness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus perfectly empathizes with us, with everything that you and I are going through, He knows what it's like to be us. Jesus, the perfect human, fully knows what you are going through. This is a huge comfort to all of us, especially when we feel lonely in our struggles. And for those who are wrestling with their gender, Jesus knows. He empathizes. He gets it. He isn't a stranger to one's dysphoria. So we come to Jesus and we let him our rest and so if we want jesus at the center of everything we think feel say and do in regards to gender we will cherish the words of jesus the words of god deeply and we'll come to him for rest and if we do that thirdly we should expect transformation to happen we should expect to become more like jesus um, often when talking about sex and gender, we land here, Genesis 1.27. And rightly so. Um, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We can confidently say from this verse that male and female bodies are God-given and good realities. They're not just insignificant shells. They're part of who we are. And how we reflect our good creator. Um, Genesis 2 later on tells us that there's something beautiful and sacred about men and women. Um, The word rib in Hebrew, I'm told, um, is used throughout the rest of the Old Testament, not to refer to ribs at all, um, but sacred temple architecture. 
um, the temple where God was with his people. And so our male and female bodies, which God made, are sacred and precious to him. But what this passage and other passages in the Bible don't outline are any specific personalities and traits that men and women should have. And so here's what I want to talk about gender stereotypes. Um, the idea that men and women should look and act in certain ways. Um, for men, the stereotypes are, among others, sharing your issues is weak. Men don't do household chores. They provide financially. Men are tough. And real men never say no to sex. For women, assertiveness is seen as unfeminine. Women must be nurturing. Women, women stay at home, cook, clean, and enjoy gossip, and are better backseat drivers. Look, most of our beliefs about what it means to be a man or woman come from culture and not from the Bible. In the Bible, in Judges 4, we meet Deborah, who courageously led the nation of Israel, and Jael, who was a female military powerhouse. She drove a tent peg through someone's temple. Um, in Acts 16, we meet Lydia, an unmarried businesswoman. We're all familiar with King David. Um, he wrote a lot of poetry, uh, the Psalms. And in 1 Samuel 20, he wept uncontrollably when he was forced to leave his best friend. And Bezalel and Aholiab, they headed up the arts and crafts department when the tabernacle was being set up in Exodus 31. Were these people not being truly feminine and masculine in acting these ways? No. The Bible encourages much broader expressions of what it means to be masculine and feminine than our culture and the culture it was written to. Um, Jesus and Paul didn't have to deny their maleness to say they were like caring, nurturing mothers. Men saying they were mothers. And we shouldn't have to deny our biological sex just because we don't fit current stereotypes. Our sex isn't the sum total of who we are. But as Christians, we shouldn't deny it to express who we really are. But again, I want to say, most trans people I've listened to aren't denying their biology, as we often unfairly assume. Um, and Mark Yarhouse makes a great pastoral point when he says, simply urging people with gender dysphoria to act in accordance with their biological sex and ignore their extreme discomfort won't constitute pastoral care or a meaningful cultural witness. If we're going to urge each other to be anything, above all else, it should be to be like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, We're all being transformed into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory. We should expect and want to become more like Jesus. And that doesn't mean dressing like a first-century Jewish man. It has very little to do with our outer appearance and everything to do with our character. As parents... And I know I can fail in this. We can wrongly push gender stereotypes on our children. 
and panic when they don't fit them. Boys be tough, girls be pretty. Boys fight back, girls talk back. Girls don't cry like a girl. Sit like a lady. Short hair for boys, long hair for girls. Boys have these jobs, girls have those jobs. Instead of pushing our culture stereotypes, push the example of Jesus. We keep Jesus at the heart of all this by cherishing his words, coming to him, and becoming like him. Um, Fourthly, we honour our bodies bought by Jesus. When the Bible mentions our bodies, um, it, it does push us to look forward to the life to come, where our earthly bodies will be resurrected to glorious reality. Um, but we live in a Romans 8 world um, that is groaning. Everything in creation groans and longs to be fully restored in the new creation when Jesus returns. And we groan through this life. We all groan through this life. As Christians, we believe that we need the full redemption that is awaiting us, the full redemption of ourselves. We recognize our brokenness, our disordered desires, and that we're prone to wander from God. We groan and we long for something glorious. We long to meet Jesus face to face where our minds and our bodies will be brought to fullness and where things like gender dysphoria will be a distant memory. But while we wait, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What beautiful words. We're not our own. We belong to God. We were bought at a price. You and I are so precious to God that it's beyond comprehension. And Paul's logic is, so honor him with your whole self. God chose to make his home in you. He went to auction for you and he paid with his son. He dwells in you, so honour him with your body. Our groaning minds and bodies are something we need to care for. But sometimes there are many factors that make it harder for some. So we must avoid judging others. For those facing gender dysphoria or questioning their gender identity, the treatments are complex, they're hotly debated, they're still being studied... Um, and are often over-promising. They're not treatments to take lightly. But as I say that, I talk to people for whom this is a live issue for, and they're not taking it lightly. I'm not an expert. I don't know what it's like to experience feelings of gender dysphoria. I don't think people who are considering transitioning are out to hurt themselves. Um... The distress can be real. If it were my child, I'd want to show them so much love and make sure they get the best care and mental health support. If you look on the screen, these high levels of mental health issues among trans people in Australia, this is Australian stats, um, for me, demand high levels of mental health support 
for trans people and relational support. Our kids need to be able to turn to their parents in these times because if we ignore their questions or brush them aside as just a fad or push them away when they face these things, they'll look for answers somewhere else in places we probably don't want them to look for answers. They'll look for care somewhere else. Lastly, keeping Jesus at the center of all this means we cherish the words of Jesus. Sorry, we cherish the words of Jesus. We rest in Jesus. We become like Jesus. We honor our bodies. And lastly, we embody the posture of Jesus. Um, I want to talk about destructive ideologies that are a threat to our church. Um, not the ones maybe you're thinking of, but the destructive ideologies of legalism, hypocrisy, and self-righteousness. Christians ridiculing the sins of others, shaming people for struggling in ways that they don't, tying heavy burdens around the necks of marginalized people, and dressing it all up as Christianity. Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What a challenging verse. In other words, the love we have for others, particularly those who are different from us, is an indication of how much the love of God has gripped our own hearts. Jesus' posture was open and inviting. The brokenhearted, the vulnerable, and the marginalized were drawn to him. Are they drawn to you? Are they drawn to us at All Saints? As the numbers of trans-identifying people rise, so should the numbers of trans people in our church. Um, Preston Sprinkle again says in this book, if people, especially marginalized and broken people, come into our church, they should never want to leave. Think about the incarnation of the Son of God, becoming human, becoming one of us, like one of us. That truth pushes us as much as possible to put ourselves in the shoes of others. Paul says in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 9, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Instead of burning bridges and keeping trans people at arm's length, we should be looking to listen, understand and connect with people made in God's image. You know, this is one example, but this could mean using their preferred pronouns as an act of gentleness and hospitality. Um, Preston Sprinkle says this about his um, trans-Christian friend and mentor, Leslie, the same Leslie um, that left the church for 18 years. Leslie has become one of the dearest, wisest, most godly people in my life. Leslie is a gift to the church, to the world, and to me, and they live their faith in ways I could only dream of. Trans people aren't just needy people. They aren't just marginalized and vulnerable. They're needed in our lives and in our church. Remember the woman at the well? A needy, marginalized and vulnerable woman? Well, her relationship with Jesus not only brought her true life and freedom and satisfaction, but empowered her to share her encounter with Jesus with many people. And many people came to trust in Jesus because of her. So to finish, how do we make sure Jesus is at the center of all this? We cherish Jesus' words. 
we rest in Jesus. We strive to be like Jesus while honoring our God-given bodies. And we embody the posture of Jesus to people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. I thank you that you get what it's like to be us and that you came to us. You sent your son to us to die for us, to rise again. And I pray that he would be our hope in all of this. Amen.